You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 21. That's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 21. Um, Continuing our uh, summer series uh, through select psalms this morning uh, with Psalm 21. Um, I'll go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump right into our text. Lord, we we thank you for the forgiveness and redemption that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we get to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're part of the same uh, blood-bought, redeemed family through faith in Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of faith, that, that that would even be possible. We thank you for the gift of your Son, that all of that would be possible. Lord, help us to praise and worship you with gratitude accordingly this morning. And I just pray that the, the, the one and only hope of the gospel of forgiveness and salvation in Christ through faith in him would be the centerpiece of our time together this morning. And as we leave from here, that we'd carry it with us and preach it, preach that good news to a, a, a broken world that desperately needs to hear it, that more sinners would be saved as we have been through faith in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not already there, open your Bibles to Psalm 21. Does somebody mind turning me down a little bit? Thank you, man. Um, We'll start with, we'll we'll walk through our text uh, section by section this morning, starting with uh, the heading to give us a little bit of context, um, like we did last week, which says this. Our heading uh, says, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. So that gives us some context. David wrote this psalm. Uh, The ESV study summarizes the context of the psalm well. They say this about Psalm 20 and Psalm 21. They say these two psalms form a pair of royal psalms. Psalm 20 is a prayer that God will give success to the Davidic king, particularly in battle. Psalm 21, which is what we're in this morning, gives thanks to God for answering the request of Psalm 20. So that gives us a little context as we jump into this psalm this morning. So starting, starting in the actual verses, starting with verse 1, here's what it says. So let's look at verses 1 through 7 first. It says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now, again here, as with a number of the, uh, of the psalms that we've looked at thus far this summer, uh, David is praising God for hearing his cries for help in the midst of his distress and for interceding and delivering him from his distress, in particular, again here, from the hands of his enemies in this instance. For he, David is praising God for empowering him for victory over his enemies in this particular battle. That's what he's praising God for here. Now, as we talked about last week, sometimes God intercedes and delivers us from our distress in this life, much like he did for David here, right? 
Sometimes that happens when it accords with God's sovereign will. Amen, right? So when, like David, we find ourselves in the midst of distress, we should do what David does here and cry out to the Lord for help and for deliverance from our distress in prayer. Because as we talked about last week, as James 4.2, the second part of 4.2 highlights, sometimes you do not have because you do not ask. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of distress like David, we should cry out to the Lord for help and for deliverance from our distress in prayer. We should just do so ultimately in submission to the sovereign will of God. Again, echoing Jesus's prayer in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we should do what we see David doing here. Cry out to the Lord for help and for deliverance from our distress in prayer, but doing so ultimately in submission to the sovereign will of God. Lord, not my will ultimately, but yours be done. Amen? But... As we talked about last week, even when God doesn't intercede and deliver us from our distress in this life, we know that for those who know Christ by faith, one day he will deliver us from all of our distress when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. Amen? So no matter how hopeless our situation may look in this life, we know that in Christ, no situation ever is. Because deliverance is on the way, right? If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come, when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. All that said, in this case, God did intercede and deliver David from his distress here by empowering him for victory over his enemies in this particular battle. That is what happened. And in that reality... David saw several things worthy of noting for our purposes together this morning that I want to highlight. So in that reality that God did here intercede and deliver David from his distress by empowering him for victory over his enemies in this particular battle, David saw a few things worthy of note that we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, he saw, as one commentary put it, uh, a fresh coronation. That's the way they described it. I thought this was helpful meaning a reconfirmation that God had set David apart as his chosen king. David saw that in God answering his prayers and delivering him from his distress, giving him victory in this particular battle. We see this in verse 3, this idea. It says, For you meet him with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. It's kind of this imagery I think that commentary is right, of a fresh coronation, a, 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 a reconfirmation that God had set David apart as his, as his chosen king. Right? And in, in, in essence, so it, it, uh, in God giving David victory over his enemies here, David saw God saying, in essence, yes, you're still my guy, <laughs> my chosen servant for this time and place, and I'm not done with you yet. I've still got some work for you to do in this life. I think that's how David is reading this particular situation. Now, similarly, I think there's some application for us. Similarly, as his people through faith in Christ, when God delivers us from, let's say, I'll give give a few examples. Let's say uh, a health scare or from those who would seek to destroy us, we can take away a similar message, (laughs) 
And that's this. I, I guess God's not done with me yet. <laughs> in other words, he's still got some work for me to do in this life as one of his ambassadors for Christ. Is that fair enough? Amen? So if that's the case, if, if we're experiencing those things, for one, we're still here, so that applies to all of us, right? Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Amen? Right? Let's do all we can to steward this opportunity that God has given us to continue to serve him, to continue to serve the king of all creation in this life. Let's, let's do all we can to steward that opportunity well to the glory of God. And wherever we're not, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit, church. Secondly, the second thing worthy of note I want to highlight that, uh, that David takes away from this, the fact that God rescues him from the hands of his enemies, gives him victory in this particular battle. David recognized that it was ultimately God who granted and who empowered him for this victory. And so he praised and gave glory to God accordingly. We see this in verse 1. He says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. And we see this in verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High he shall not be moved. Those are two examples. There's a few others throughout the text as well. David recognized that it was ultimately God who granted him and who empowered him for this victory. And so he praised and gave glory to God accordingly. And we ought to do the same, church, with whatever victories we experience in this life. Be that in our personal fight against sin or in the face of persecution or whatever else, right? Whatever other victories we experience in this life. We should recognize the truth that we see in Psalm 127.1 that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And we should give praise and glory to God accordingly whenever we build a house of any kind, so to speak, successfully in this life, right? Right, to give us a picture, it's, it's in essence, I may have been swinging the hammer or the sword, right, in David's case, but it's God who put the air in my lungs and the strength in my arm, Amen. So at the end of the day, he gets all the glory. Third thing David recognizes in God's rescuing him from his distress at the hands of his enemies, giving him victory in this particular battle, is this. David recognized that because of his faith, God delivered him from the hands of his enemies here. Because of his faith, God delivered him from the hands of his enemies here. We see this in verse 7. He says, For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now, let me clarify, <laughs> okay? Um, this is a, let's not run off the rails here. Um, so David recognized, because of his faith, God delivered him from the hands of his enemies here in this particular situation. Now, again, this doesn't always happen in this life, okay? We're not going to get into some weird prosperity false gospel, okay? Amen? That's not what I'm saying, okay? This doesn't always happen in this life that the people of God are delivered from the hands of their enemies. That doesn't always happen. But again, we want to be careful that sometimes it does. Amen? We don't want to overcorrect. <laughs> right? Sometimes it does happen. Sometimes the people of God are delivered from the hands of their enemies. Right? Not completely, but, but in a smaller scale, in an incomplete sense in this life. Right? Sometimes that does happen in accordance with God's sovereign will, like it did here with David. Some, to, to put it bluntly, 
to give us a picture here, sometimes the end of the story that all of the people of God, i.e. everyone who would ever look to Christ by faith, will one day be completely rescued from the hands of all of their enemies once and for all when Christ returns and redeems all things, sometimes that end of the story breaks through on a smaller, incomplete scale in the here and now. Amen? As it did here with David. In other words, sometimes God looks at his, at his people being harassed and attacked at the hands of their enemies and goes, yeah, that's enough. That's enough. And delivers them from the hands of their enemies in the here and now, like he did here with David. Sometimes that happens. Again, let's be very careful. Not always. I'm not saying that, <laughs> right? Don't mishear me. Not always. But sometimes, sometimes that does happen. Again, in accordance with God's sovereign will, like it did here with David. So again, when we, like David, find ourselves in the midst of distress at the hand of our enemies, be that Satan, our own sin, the world, so forth, right? We should do what David does here and cry out to the Lord for help and for deliverance from our distress in prayer. We should just do so, again, in submission to both the revealed will of God. So let's be careful here. Let's play, pray biblical prayers in a biblical way. Amen, right? So we should do so both in submission to the revealed will of God, knowing that deliverance uh, uh, from all of our distress at the hands of our enemies won't happen for us uh, until either we die or Christ returns and won't happen for all of the people of God until Christ returns and redeems all things. And we should do so, we, we should pray these prayers ultimately in submission to the sovereign will of God. Again, echoing Jesus' prayer in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? And again, we should do so knowing that even when God doesn't intercede and deliver us from our distress at the hands of our enemies in this life, that for those who know Christ by faith, one day he will deliver us from all of our distress when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. And he'll deliver all of the people of God from all of their distress and defeat all of our enemies once and for all when Christ returns and redeems all things. Amen? Which segues nicely <laughs> into verses 8 through 12. So now look, look at verses 8 through 12. It says this. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Now, Give us a little bit of context and kind of background with this text here, with this, these particular verses, 8 through 12. There's somewhat of a debate uh, as to whether the yous and yours in this section refer to God or David. Just to give you a little theological backdrop, um, there's somewhat of a debate as to whether the yous and yours in this section refer to God or David, which frankly is a debate we don't have time to get into deeply for our purposes this morning. I'm going to give you just kind of what we need and we'll move forward here. 
But here, here's, suffice it to say, just to, to save us some time, we're going to read it through the lens that the yous and yours are referring to God in this section this morning for a couple of reasons. I'm going to highlight why, okay? One, I'm not thoroughly convinced that it's referring to David at the moment. Just to be honest with you, as I've wrestled with this text and read it, I'm just not thoroughly convinced by that argument. I'll give you three reasons. There's more we could get into, but just three to kind of understand where I'm coming from. That reading seems a bit clunky to me. Number one, that's one of my issues with it, one of my questions. Uh, Not only in light of the rest of the psalm, when you look at the context of the rest of the psalm, but specifically in light of verses 7 and verse 13, which come directly before and after this section. So I'll read 7 and 13. 7 says this, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High he shall not be moved. Okay, so we're focusing on God, right? Verse 13, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Focusing on God. That's, That's what bookends this section. That's what comes directly before, directly after. Personally, the shift in focus from God to David, and then back to God, according to that reading, just seems a bit clunky for me. I I don't think it really works. Personally, I'm not convinced of that thoroughly at the moment. That's problem number one. Um, Issue number two that I have with that reading, um, unless I'm missing something, the the language overall in this section, verses 8 through 12, seems a bit too strong to me to be referring to David. I, I just am not I don't know how that works. <laughs> so it's really overall in this section, but particularly verse nine, the first part, for example, which says you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. That's just one example, but uh, I don't know. That, <laughs> that, that to me, yeah, that seems a bit strong uh, to me to be referring to David. I'm not thoroughly convinced that that's talking about David. Again, I could be wrong, but at least not at the moment, unless I'm missing something, I'm not thoroughly convinced by that argument. Thirdly, I'm not convinced that the Lord, in verse 9, we see that phrase. In verse 9, we see the Lord. I'm not convinced that the Lord, in verse 9, is different from the yous and yours in verses 8 through 12. I'm not convinced that that's, <laughs> we're shifting to talking about somebody else there. Um, it may well, and this is, this is at least my read right now, um, it may well be telling us who the yous and yours are referring to. I don't think it's a shift. I, I think it's clarifying who David is talking about there, who, who he's referring to here. In essence, when you read it that way, it's you, your, oh, the Lord. That's who I'm talking about. You, your. Like that to me seems like a more natural reading. And so I'm just not, again, that summarizes some reasons, but I'm not thoroughly convinced that, that this is verses 8 through 12 are referring to David at the moment. So that's the first reason we're going to read uh, this passage. We're going to read 8 through 12 through the lens that the yous and yours are referring to God in this section this morning. So I'm just not thoroughly convinced they're referring to David at the moment. Secondly, um, and, and this is helpful too. Secondly, here's the second reason we're going to read it through that lens, that it's referring to God this morning. Because 8 through 12 is at least referring to God. Okay, 8 through 12 is at least referring to God. To give us some further context to to the debate, this will kind of help us out here too. The debate on 8 through 12 isn't whether it's referring to God or not. That's not really what theologians are debating. But it's whether it's referring to God or David as God's agent of justice, i.e. God through David. Does that make sense? That's really what the debate is. So the debate here is between A, God, or B, God through David. Either way, it's at least referring to God. 
And the debate is whether it's specifically referring to David as God's agent or not. But it's at least option A, which is God either way. And I'm not thoroughly convinced at the moment that it's option A plus David, i.e. through God through David as his agent, which is what option B is arguing. I'm not thoroughly convinced of that argument at the moment. Where because of that, um, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12 through the lens that it's referring to God this morning. Because again, it's at least doing that. Does that make sense? So I just wanted to highlight that so we can get into this and, and kind of have all the necessary context to get the most out of it, I think. Now let's look at 8 through 12 again, okay? Verses 8 through 12. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. In short, though the enemies of God and of the people of God plot and scheme against God and against his people, and at times it may look like they're winning, in the end they will not succeed. In the end they will not succeed. Because God is a God of justice who will find and defeat all of his his enemies once and for all in the end. As we talked about some weeks weeks back, um, let me just give you this illustration again. God is the sheriff who always gets his man. Amen? So, no matter how bleak things may look, no matter how much it may look like the enemies of God and of the people of God are winning, and this past year and a half or so has been really challenging at times as far as that goes. Amen? As far as how things look at various points. So no matter how bleak things look, remember how the story ends, church. Jesus wins. (laughs) Jesus wins. He defeats all of his and all of our enemies as his people once and for all in the end. That's how the story ends. That's just what happens at the end, according, again, to our sovereign God writing the story. Amen? Now, when will that happen? (laughs) Hmm, well, what does verses 8 through 12 remind us of? Look at verse 8 through 12 again. Some of you guys might have already noticed this, (laughs) but let me just highlight this. All of his enemies being found out and defeated and facing the music, all of God's enemies and and all of our enemies as his people, you know, be being found out and defeated and facing the music, i.e. his just wrath and being removed from the earth. What does that sound an awful lot like? (laughs) What's going to happen when Christ returns and redeems all things? Reverses the curse once and for all, right? Isn't that really what that sounds like? Yes, (laughs) correct, (laughs) correct. Because I think that's the full fulfillment 
of verses 8 through 12. Verses, the, the, the final complete fulfillment of verses 8 through 12. Verse 8 through 12, the, the complete defeat of all of his enemies and all of our enemies as his people once and for all will be fulfilled in full when Christ returns and redeems all things. Amen? That's when verses 8 through 12 are going to be fulfilled in full, completely, once and for all. So, here's the good news from our passage this morning. Number one, everyone who trusts in the Lord, i.e. everyone who looks to Christ by faith, will be delivered from all of their distress one day. When either they die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. That's what David's deliverance from his distress at the hands of his enemies here was a foreshadowing of in this text. The fact that everyone who trusts in the Lord, i.e. everyone who looks to Christ by faith, will be delivered from all of their distress one day when either they die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. Amen? So that's the first big piece of good news I wanted to highlight this morning. Secondly, Verses 8 through 12, the complete defeat of all of Christ's enemies and all of our enemies as his people once and for all will be fulfilled in full when Christ returns and redeems all things. They can't run God's enemies and our enemies as his people. They can't run and they can't hide. All of Christ's enemies and all of our enemies as his people will one day face the music, i.e. God's just wrath, in full when Christ returns and redeems all things. And when that happens, church, we'll get to exalt God for his strength and sing and praise his power like we see in verse 13 as displayed in his once and for all defeat of all of his and all of our enemies as his people when Christ returns and redeems all things. Thirdly, the only way that the truth that Christ will one day return to defeat all of his enemies once and for all can go from very, very bad news to very, very good news for us is through faith in him. Amen? Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death in our place that through faith in him, we could go from enemies of God to members of his kingdom and family. That his return would no longer mean our reckoning as his enemies, but our rescue as his people through faith in him. Because his perfect righteousness and his full payment for our sins and his death on the cross have both been credited to our account by faith. So that through faith in Christ, we're no longer worthy, of, we're no longer counted worthy of eternal death, i.e. hell, because of our sins, because Jesus paid for all of them in full in his death on the cross, but we're counted worthy of eternal life because Christ's perfect righteousness has been counted to us by faith. And when Christ returns, we'll be dealt with accordingly for those who have faith in Jesus. Not as those worthy of eternal death, but as those who've been counted worthy of eternal life. Which means his return will no longer mean our reckoning as his enemies, but our rescue as his people through faith in him. Amen? Now, with all of that said, 
How do we respond to this text? Three things in closing I want to leave you guys with as we, as we close here this morning. Number one, if you don't yet know Christ this morning, look to him by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time. Because if you don't, if you never repent and look to Christ by faith, then his return to defeat all of his enemies once and for all will be very, very bad news and not very, very good news for you because it will mean your reckoning and not your rescue if you never put faith in Christ. Because you'll, you'll still be standing as one of his enemies if you don't have faith in him and not one of his people through faith in him when he returns, right? To give you, go back to a previous illustration we've used recently, you'll still be counted among the forces of Mordor when the king, when King Jesus returns, right? That's a problem. That's not good for you, for those who never look to Christ by faith. And so look to Christ by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time, that the, that the return of the king, i.e. King Jesus, would go from very, very bad news to very, very good news for you. Because it will no longer mean your reckoning, but your rescue. Because you'll have gone from being counted among the forces of Mordor to being counted among the armies of men and elves and dwarves and so forth through faith in Christ. You get it. You get what I'm saying, right? That's why Christ's return goes from very, very bad news to very, very good news for those who have faith in Christ, right? So if you don't yet know Christ this morning, look to him by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time. Secondly, in light of God's power, church, in light of God's power, go preach the gospel. In light of God's power, go preach the gospel that more sinners would be saved from his awesome power, i.e. his just wrath, through faith in Jesus. Amen? And church, knowing that if it's God's will that the person you're preaching to would look to Christ by faith and be saved today as you're preaching the gospel to them, then they will. Because no one is stronger than God. Amen? Thirdly and last, lastly, church, like we talked about last week, Christian, don't lose heart. But remember the good news that deliverance is on the way. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. So no matter how hopeless our situation may look in this life, we know that in Christ, no situation ever is because deliverance is on the way. Again, if not in this life, then certainly in the life to come when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. So again, Christian, do you believe that and are you living accordingly? In God's providence, we've had a lot of sermons on a lot of similar themes lately. I don't know if you notice, you've noticed that. So apparently, God wants us to hear this message loud and clear. Amen? And if I had to guess, probably because it's pretty easy to forget truths like this right now during such a difficult season for so many people throughout the world. Many of us, church, certainly not excluded, right? So I'll ask it again. Christian, do you believe that? 
that no matter how hopeless our situation may look in this life, we know in Christ no situation ever is because deliverance is on the way. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. Christian, do you believe that and are you living accordingly? And if not, church, let's repent together as a church family by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. that you win in the end. That, that Jesus will return and defeat all of his and all of our enemies once and for all and redeem all things. That that's the end of the story. Jesus wins completely. Lord, help us to remember that good news, to cling to it, to remind ourselves and one another of it in the midst of a difficult season and to live accordingly knowing no matter how hopeless our situation may look in this life in Christ, no situation ever is because deliverance is on the way. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things. Lord, help us to remember that truth, to remind ourselves and one another of that truth and to live accordingly by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, give us boldness to go preach the gospel of forgiveness and redemption and salvation through faith in Christ that more sinners would have the truth that Christ is going to return to execute final justice on his enemies, go from very bad news to very good news through faith in him. Lord, help us to do that. Give us boldness to do that, compassion to do that. And Lord, wherever we fall short in any of the things we talked about this morning, help us remember that in Christ we're forgiven. In Christ, we're declared righteous, and in Christ, we're empowered to change. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.